Lord, thank you so much for being with us through the, the week. We thank you, Lord, for watching over us. We are so grateful for the folks who invented air conditioning. We uh, are grateful, Lord, for that technology, and we um, are thankful for us being able to be together. And we pray that you would bless us as we study more about Gnosticism and that we may be better informed, but not just better informed, but more appreciative of the gospel and of what it means. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in the heresy zone. And so, as we've done before, this is the fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It's dimension of vast, as vast as space and timeless as infinity, be ground between light and shadow, pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is also an area we call the heresy zone. So this is where we are. And again, the aims. Oh, maybe I should do this. So what are some of the aims of the class? Oh, I did this last week. What are some of the aims of the class? Aims. Yeah, okay, all right. And the hearing level of the class. Yes. All right, very quickly then. Become familiar with aspects of our early history by understanding several of the major heretical movements. And moments at the fir- of the first five centuries reflect on our own day and place in history. Um, and ultimately, so that we'll be able to uh, be aware and keep stable and grow. And so first, uh, 2 Peter 3, 17-18, verse 16, Peter said, There are those who twist, there are unstable people who twist the writings of Paul and the rest of Scripture. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away by the, with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the big, big aim right there. All right, so the plan, we've already done this one. What is heresy and how to think about it? The Ebionites, the Mar- Marcion, the Docetism, and we are in part two of Gnosticism. We began last week. Uh, we're going to get into Montanism in the future, near future, Arianism, Modalism, Manicheanism, Donatists, Nestorianism, and Pelagianism. And here we go. So we really worked hard last week on delineations and defining Gnosticism. We're just going to hit those very briefly, kind of work through them again very shortly, very quickly, and then get here discussing modern Gnostic trends and then finally uh, deliberate on biblical responses. And so that's where we're headed. So as I said before, most of the various heresies answer our Lord, uh, give an answer to our Lord's question, who do you say that I am? And that answer will shape how they view many other topics, such as creation, the physical, God, Scripture, salvation, suffering, good and evil. And there's this spider web of connections, so if, uh, whatever they say about this is related to other things as well. It's that way with all of us. There's always a spider web of connections. You have to remember that. And so um, part of that is just that reminder is meant for us to help us so that you may hear something that's very, very alarming from someone, but instead of getting lost in the weeds of that, you might start asking other questions, primarily pushing them back to uh, kind of a Francis Schaeffer approach, getting them back to where, what do they say is the answer to that question, who do you say that I am? That will likely uncover where they are at heart, what the whole heart of the issue is. Mm 
Yeah, I think so. I think that the, in most, most cases, you will get right to the heart of the issue. I mean, so like with Gnosticism, as we'll see, there's a whole host of things, and it impacts how they answer that question, and how they answer that question impacts this host of things, and so they all interweave together. Yes. 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 Yeah, I, would, I agree. Yeah, I think that's the central foundational question. Okay. And then as we've already been seeing, many of the heretical distinctives are like tributary rivers that begin to flow in and out of each other. As we heard last week, as we started on Gnosticism, you, you can't miss Marcion inside of Gnosticism when you listen, right? And then uh, some of the Donatist perspectives, you know, and so those things just show up. They just start to fill, feed into each other and uh, pollute the stream, if you will. And so um, Gnosticism absorbed several of those different aspects. Again, as I said last week, this is like riding a bucking bronc because there's so much, right? It was so detailed. There were so many variations of Gnosticism that Irenaeus, who is the epitome of defense against the Gnostics, had to write five volumes. In fact, by the way, Irenaeus is still so important. This is how I knew I needed to read Irenaeus. That modern day Gnostics are still arguing with Irenaeus and he wrote at the end of the second century. They, they, have, they will bring him up and say, oh, he was wrong about that. And they will argue about it and then they'll go on and talk. It's really interesting. So I knew then Irenaeus caught them. He got them. But it's so, there's so many varieties or aspects that he had to end up writing five arms. So just remember that. That it's like riding a bucking bronc. There was no singular bandito who led the group. It was a whole band of people and, and all that stuff. Okay? Yes? What question? Oh, you mean to go back to the, next, the previous slide? I'll get to it in a minute. Good question. How, did, how would they answer that foundational question? We'll get to it in a minute. Um, also, my book is um, dealing primarily, even though I write about Gnosticism, what I'm looking at is Gnostic trends, how these trends show up in modern churches and especially even in conservative churches. And I gave you some background of that where I surveyed three conservative uh, churches, one Baptist, one Anglican, and one PCA, and then how some of the various ways that those trends show up. So there was a lot more I could have said on that. But All right, our summary thoughts, just real quick, because I'm going to come back to this one again in just a minute. But N.T. Wright, in his book, Judas and the Gospel of Jesus, okay, which is a great little book, that Gnostics were the cult cultural conservatives sticking with the kind of religion that everyone already knew. And I tried to emphasize that last week, that since that uh, in the first and second century, this was familiar to everybody around them. This kind of cosmology where there's all these deities and they're all adversarial to you and you've got to bargain with them and you've got to figure out the combination to get through them and all those things. That was normal um, that was normal spirituality, if you want to call it that. And so I think N.T. Wright is correct uh, on, that, on that point. And then Gnosticism, as I summarize it in a nutshell, is anti-cosmic dualism. Anybody want to explain anti-cosmic dualism? No, no, let me rephrase that. Would you please explain anti-cosmic dualism? Anti-cosmic dualism. 
Just break it down. What's anti? Yes, Cindy. Yes, creation time, body history, anything that's part of creation. Anti-cosmic, okay? Anti-creation. And then the dualism, what is that? Huh? Yeah, it's more than one. Yeah, yeah, the opposition, the tension, the adversarialness between light and dark, spirit and flesh, but it's the way that they, they hammered it in Gnosticism to where, um, as I put it very simply, body bad, spirit good. Right? Body bad, spirit good. Or in the old Greek philosophy, it was somasima. The body is a tomb. Yeah, yin and yang is, is a dualism. Yes, the yin and yang. Yes. Okay? But the Soma Sema, the body is a tomb, that was a very popular, common statement even before Christianity. And as I said last week, you hear that statement in its own rendition showing up in conservative Christian circles often. That's not dualism. Dualism is opposition. It's a specific kind of dualism, yes. Right. Yeah, there is a dualism in Christianity between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, for example. Okay, there is that hostility, but that's not anti-creation. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully that summarization refresh some of your memories. Okay, and help with some to speed, catch you up to speed. The big thing I want you to remember is um, the anti-cosmic dualism is a good way to put it, and then the spirit, body bad, spirit good. Those two things will help tremendously. If you use those as a grid as you're listening at times, you will pick up what I'm talking about. And some of you did last week. I had a soulmate in here. It was like, I see it everywhere now. Oh, no. Right? So, yeah. That's my world. So any questions up to this point? Okay, so um, we went through, Hans Jonas wrote this book in the, in the late 40s, The Gnostic Religion. This is the, kind of the standard in the field. Um, and we went through all of his definitions of Gnosticism in reference to theology. So if you have questions on any of these things, first thing I'm going to recommend is go back and listen to it. It is online, okay? Listen to what I said because we'll define, I define all those things. Theology, cosmology, anthropology, eschatology, and morality. Okay? So, study of God, study of creation, study of man, study of the end, and morality. And his summary statement is that Gnostic, the Gnostic God is not merely extra mundane, not just, um, not just more than the world, and he's not super mundane, uh, beyond the world, but he is ultimately uh, contra-mundane. He is against the world. And do you remember why we said that, why they said that? What was their thinking about the co- the uh, thinking about deity, the divinity? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Right, right. So the spirit aspect. Uh, so um, there was more. What was the other part? There was the part that you see then how they read scripture. What happens? Who's the tr- where's the true God? Yeah, he's way beyond, right? So who created creation? A lesser God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he created creation out of rebellion or uh, out of mistake. One of the two. You'll run it, depends who you talk to. But usually it's out of rebellion to the great God, the true God. The true God, it doesn't even care that you exist. Right? And so it's the lesser God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that made all things. So already you know you've got, there's, there's big issues. But that's exactly Greek and Roman theology. Right? That's what, that's what N.T. Wright meant by the cultural conservatism that Gnosticism was. That's what everybody, that's how they lived. That's how they, they saw things. And so when you realize then that God is against the world, that changes everything about how you perceive everything, even salvation and so forth. And as we get to the incarnation, then there's no need for an incarnation because God doesn't want the world. He doesn't like the world. Okay, so there you leaned in, in the different directions. Yeah, all of that, yeah. S- some of that, yeah, that's, that story, yes. Yes, Kronos is the, the previous god or the, 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 uh, the god before Zeus and all that conflict between the gods, all that feeds in. That's what I mean by, and that's what N.T. Wright is talking about, that cultural conservatism that Gnosticism was. It felt like the religion everybody already knew. Just different names. And so as I put it in my book, Gnostic salvation also means, so if creation is bad and God could care less about creation and so forth, if God is contramundane against creation and if the cosmos and the created realm are a main part of the problem then they must be escaped altogether. That's salvation. Escaping the cosmos and the whole created realm. That would be called salvation. And you do that by knowing, gnosis, right? G-N-O-S-I-S is the Greek word. By knowing this fact and coming into tune with the fact that you are actually part of the deity. There's a piece of the deity that's in you. It's splintered off somewhere, emanated from him. And it's in your heart, right? And so that's how you'll get saved and, and escape creation is by becoming in tune again with your divinity or something like that, right? And then getting out of creation. Yes, Mike. Uh, God, God, actually God ends up becoming whole when we're all back with him. That's the eschatology. Yeah, there's nothing about creation. No new heavens, new earth. No resurrection. In a sense, yeah. Yes, yes, everything is right. Ah, but you know, if you go back to Greek mythology and Roman mythology, it fits in because it's exactly the storyline. Yeah. But whose image? Which God? 
I, I do too. I'm on your side, John. No, no, they would say, that's fine. If you, you know, if you want to talk about being created in the image of the lesser God who, who made out of rebellion. Yeah, but that's not a... Yes. Yes, yes. And remember, that, remember we said last week that the lesser God creates to capture the divine spark that you have and keep it imprisoned. And so that's not good news to them. Yeah, yeah, right. Right, 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 right. It's, okay, so remember, this is, cult, this is culturally conservative. This is what they, they, so everybody sees this way. All right, almost everybody around you lives and talks this way. So there's not about evidentialism in reference to archaeology or things like that. So there's no concern with that. We're going to get into alternative texts here in a minute, okay? Okay, you're not getting what I'm saying. This is the culture, right? They, you grow up with this in your mother's milk and in the drinking water. There's no thinking about where did it originate. No, no, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes, Alan. We haven't even got to Revelation yet. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. I've got to move on. We're going to be here forever, okay? Hold that thought because I'm going to come back to that thought specifically because you brought... Uh, Randy, where's Randy? Ra- oh, Randy's not here. Randy, you brought it up last week, so I wanted to tell you about it, Randy, but where are you? Okay, let me move on. Let me move on. What? What? Yes. Um, yeah, well, okay, so you're, you're going and you're, that's fine, and that's good analysis. I'm trying to give you what they said, how they, how they saw it, because it impacts everything, okay? And then this is why Irenaeus wrote five volumes because of those very issues, okay? And so just hold those thoughts. Let's see if I get to it, okay? Let's just see if I get to it. Historical realities. Some were legends and some were historical reality. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on. I'm so glad you're interacting. This is awesome. All right, so to pursue their focus, this is going to get to what you were talking about, Alan, in a minute. 
they often used alternative sources to validate their perspectives, okay? So they had no problems. This is the Gospel of Judas. Uh, Elaine Pagel is a modern Gnostic, retells the Gnostic story using the, the Bible and alternative sources. There's the hidden Gospels. Um, they also had something of an authoritative way to read the, the writings of Paul and the Gospel of John from a Gnostic perspective. So they had all of that. And I pointed out to you uh, last week, the Gnostic Bible, which has a plethora of uh, just all kinds of writings, they used alternative written sources okay, and just culminated them. And I'll get into the reason why in a minute, where that comes from, the source of it. Um, but they did use alternative sources, they, they, as well as biblical sources that they, that they said, this is how you're to read these passages, okay? But then they, they had their own alternative sources. The reason why I bring that up, the sexiest one, the one that you will find the most cultured Christians having studies on at times is the Gospel of Thomas, okay? It is a Gnostic writing, and they will talk about it, and oh, this is wonderful, it's liberating, and so forth. But then if you take the time to read it, you realize it hates women. There's not much liberation in that, right? It's going to, it wants to turn all the women into men, right? Which is funny, because these are cultured churches reading this that would be, you know, very, very popular, very uh, happy with feminism, and yet they want to, it's just crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. It is comfortable, and that's the reason why it's such influential. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. They are saying they are the woke, if you want to use a popular phrase. I'm going to actually quote... No, they say, I am, I am spiritual. I am pneumatic. Yeah, 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 they would do my Jesus. So if you read 1 John, for example, if you read 1 John, there's something probably proto-Gnostic or pre-Gnostic that he's fighting against there. And you will notice the spiritual language. But especially when you get to Jude, that's what he's, he's fighting with is a form of Gnosticism. They claim to be spiritual, but they're not spiritual. They're actually very earthy or earthly. Okay? But that's what they would call themselves, the spiritual, or the enlightened, or the ones in the know. I, I've been doing it. I've been doing it since last week. Hold, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. This is my class. Let me get done with my class. All right. So to, they say, have alternative texts. And the alternative texts and sources, resources are missing some important pieces. I, I, I want to hammer this. You've heard me talk about it. But I want to hammer this because you will run across 
some people saying, man, I ran across the greatest book at Barnes & Noble. It's the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. You need to read it. Or the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas. What you need to look for, what's usually almost always missing, so you, you can't miss the anti-cosmic dualism. Look for that. Okay, anti-cosmic dualism. Body, bad, spirit, good is a good, good rule of thumb. But you will notice they, because the God of the Old Testament is evil, in those alternative sources, they do not ever, hardly ever, or ever talk about the Old Testament. Okay, the God of the Old Testament. If they do, it will be derisive. The God of the Old Testament is bad. So they won't, unlike the New Testament, which has no problems quoting the Old Testament over and over again, they won't. That's one. The other part of it is that uh, you will notice that Jesus doesn't like being physical. Right? And so there's no need for a resurrection. In fact, the crucifixion, if he dies in that gospel, the crucifixion is actually so that he can be set free from creation. So there's no need for resurrection or any of that. He is the truly enlightened one. Okay? So you need to notice those things that are actually missing. That will help you, and maybe you can help them to say, to see, oh, yeah, this, it, it feels good because it's comfortable but it's not right. Okay, that maybe you can help them out with that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yes. 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 Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there is that tension. That's why I was saying there is a biblical dualism, right? There is that tension we feel, but the, the reality is we don't see creation as bad or my body is bad, right? The problem is sin. The problem is sin. Okay. Yeah, but, so, but that, that dualism you're talking about is what, is, um, is I think one reason why most modern conservative Christians, when they hear Gnostic things, they go, oh, that sounds right. Because we feel the, dual, we feel the dualistic tension, but we have to come back and say, Romans 7, the reason why I feel that way is because sin took the commandment and launched off and did this, you know, I'm, you know this is, but this is not bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
All right, so since the pneuma, the spirit in them, is a piece of the divine longing to get home, they placed heavy weight on self-authority. This is why they had no problems. They didn't care about historicity when they wrote uh, the alternative gospels. There's no need for historicity. All that matters is that I'm a piece of the divine, and this is the divine in me telling me what's right and what's wrong. So it's a self-authority. And so as Alistair McGrath in his book on heresy puts it, they advocated knowing God through experience. This is kind of what you were talking about, Moose. Knowing God through experience rather than formal doctrines. Okay? And so it becomes more about what I experience. I mean, have you ever had that moment when you talk to somebody and say, but the Bible says, I don't care what the Bible says. This is the God that I worship. All right, now we're moving in that direction. Once you hear that. Yes. Only John Hawk would hear a gong go off and feel peaceful. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bob. Um, Depends on who you talk to. But it would be the, it would be potentially the, the lesser God, but he comes into contact with who he really is. So he's actually, it's Mormonism. He actually becomes divine okay and so because he comes into the knowledge okay that would be part of it the other one might be that the good god that he comes as an intermediary from the great god to tell us about the great god and to bypass yahweh so it just depends on who you're talking to okay so there was a whole mess there going on but i want you to realize the self-authority part okay that's the big key which is one reason why to use john's statement earlier and what moose is referring to why it feels so comfortable, okay? And why it is, it is a, to use N.T. Wright's statement, it is a culturally conservative aspect. So you've heard me say this, and I'll say it again, folk religion reigns, right? It's, it's not, it, there's, there's not a Catholic version per se or a Protestant version. It's folk religion, and it just shows up in the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, all right? And I think that's a good way to keep that in mind. And Gnosticism when you get into it, actually is the comfortable religious aspect, right? So it's folk, there's a folk religion to it. Yes? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I mean, there's a long history, because that was long after... Um, the big impact of Gnosticism. So there's other influences there. And actually the monastic movement early would not have even felt like anything Gnostic. It was, you know, things, people, people are weird. We're weird. You know what I'm saying? And so things begin to morph over centuries. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily this. In fact, I, I love the fact that Gregory... Uh, uh, um, um, hold on a minute. One of the Gregories. I don't remember which one. No, it was Basil. Basil Caesarea. When he had family property and decided to make, create a mo- monastery. This is in the 4th century. He writes in one of his letters. He said, you know, I went to the monastery. I set up this monastery to escape sin. And I found out I took it with me. Right? It was the funniest letter ever. Right? And so, but I think that's just, just a regular human inclination anyways. So I don't know that, that, that this, I'm sure that some of this 
feeds into it a little bit because it feeds into our lives, okay? But the, but the self-authority is a big deal. That's a significant aspect, and you see that. Uh, you see it in blatant modern Gnostics, Elaine Pagels and others, but you, you see the trends even in conservative circles. I mean, that self-authority thing is a big deal. And then you hear it in Walt Disney sometimes, you know, just, just you know, right? Just go, let you follow your heart, right? Because your heart's divine. I mean, there's, there's some of that, you'll run across that, okay? All right, I'm getting ready to move on. Any questions or anything before we move on? You had your chance. Yes? Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. And especially if you feel like the body is bad, which is what we were talking about last week. So we were already talking about how this shows up. What we were talking about last week is that if the body is bad and it's just the external part of me, it's not the real me, I have to get in touch with the real me, which is on the inside, right? Oops, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Get excited. So then I can do whatever I want to to the body, whether body modifications or uh, sex reassignment or whatever, start cutting, whatever. And so that's, that's how that shows, how some of that shows up in the present. This is why I said last week that, that this whole class actually has a lot to say with what you see going on right now in, in our society. And a lot of the answers, the answers we have start out with the body is not bad. God loves the body. How do you know that? Because God became fully human, body and blood and bones, toenails and hair. God loves your body. And so it's not bad. And he gave you as a gift this body. So now we're moving into to, to Christology and cosmology, anthropology. Your answer is very gospel-oriented, and it's the remedy to those who want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, the confrontational probably would not be the road to take. Yeah, you got to, yeah, right, right. And you have to remember to define terms, because as I said last week, as I pointed out last week, Irenaeus says it in his uh, five volumes. He says it several times in here, and I found it funny that J. Gresham Machen in 1920, talking about modern liberalism and Christianity, said the same thing. They use our words, but they don't mean what we mean. So you have to push to get a definition. What do you mean by that? When, so when you talk about Christ, what do you mean by Christ? Who is Jesus, right? Do you mean Christ's consciousness that came upon this human Jesus and he became enlightened? What do you mean by that? And then you have to start pushing to get those definitions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes, Alan. It's always good to use the Bible. Always. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is. I think a lot of it feeds into it and fits into it very nicely. Yes, absolutely. Modern liberal Christianity. Yes, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there's a whole, yeah, Elaine Pagels talks about it. It was actually, yeah, and so evil is actually, I mean, Satan would be uh, equated with Yahweh. Right, 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 that's the self-authority. Yes. Yeah, I think you actually, the more you ask that question, as we go down the road in the years ahead, the more you ask that question, the more you will actually hear people say, well, I didn't mention it. Yes. He's retired, yes. All right, all right, let's, let's get back here. So again, N.T. Wright, his point is, uh, Gnostics were cultural conservatives, sticking with the kind of religion that everyone already knew. Alistair McGrath says something very similar. Many heresies were actually rather conservative attempting to hold on to traditional ideas that were being undermined by the more radical ideas developed by early Christianity. The I, I love this statement. The ideas of Gnosticism, for example, seem rather dull and plotting. They may not seem dull and plotting to you, but in the time, in the first, second, and third century, they were boring, blasé, right? Rather dull and plotting compared to the transformative Christian notion of the Incarnation. Does that make sense? So I think that, you know, Alan was talking about starting, you know, Genesis 1. Yeah, I think that's where you go, but you want to go to Jesus and the Incarnation, and then you're going to be immediately at the heart of the issue that God knows is not anti-creation and loves humankind so much He became one of us, loves the creation, became part of creation, is redeeming creation, and so forth, right? So then you already, with the Gospel, at the very heart, you've already begun answering that, and... Whether they hear you or not is not your business. That's not your task. Okay? Yes, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So remember, anti-cosmic dualism opposed to creation, anything that smacks of creation, time limits, finite finitude, body bad, spirit good, soma sema, the body is the tomb of the soul. Um, 
So then based on Gnostic theology, cosmology, anthropology, eschatology, soteriology, morality, authority, etc., where do you see Gnostic trends pop up today? And you've already started telling me. Okay, where do you see Gnostic trends showing up? How? Ah. Isn't that interesting? Hallmark and follow your heart. Yes. Okay. Huh? Ooh, possibly, yeah. Yeah. The name, the name, I think some of the name it and claim it stuff moves in that direction because I'm trying to become, whether I would say I would, they say that or not, I'm trying to control heaven and earth. There's that sense of moving in that direction. Cremation? Um, you know, somebody brought that up last week to me privately. So, yeah. Um, it's possible. It depends on... Yes. Yes. I had, an Anglican, I had an old retired Anglican priest friend of mine one time say, yeah, the reason why they want to get cremated, he was talking about a specific person. The reason why he wants to get cremated is because he's trying to destroy the evidence. It's not a blanket answer. That very may, very may well be part of the reason. Depends on who you're talking to, especially how you deal with the body. Okay, There are lots of reasons for cremation. I mean, uh, lots of good reasons when you have a pandemic and so forth, right? And then, then now funeral costs are so exorbitant that cremation is actually the, the more affordable route to go. The big key, I think the big rule of thumb, and I am... Uh, the big rule of thumb is how do you treat the body, even the ashes. And I think that's crucial. And Christians have always, with their Jewish friends, have always treated the human body as important because it's somehow part of our being created in the image of God. Okay? And so that's huge and important for you. So there may be reasons for doing cremation, so you can't just come out with a... Uh, with a blanket that's a bad thing it just depends on the reason why but there are a lot of people that do cremation and it's for the wrong reasons and it is kind of that that tendency so yeah very good thanks for bringing that up does that answer your question okay what are some other trends Uh, i talked about anti-historicism in the church right there's an example don't want to really hear about church history because what does that matter all that matters is that i have this personal experience with god now yeah, the transgenderism. Yes. 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 Yeah, yeah. And this is a good point. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Yes, yes, God told me to divorce. Yes, there was a guy who did that. I remember that guy. Yeah, resistance to absolutes other than my own absolute that I want. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of going back with Caitlin. Hold on a minute. Going back with something that Caitlin said. I said last week, Funerals are where you will see Gnosticism explode. You will hear it actually come out. And usually it's along the lines of, this isn't Joe. 
Joe has gone on to be with Jesus. This is just his old house, his old tent, and we're going to dispose of it. And you will hear Christian, conservative Christian preachers say it. I've been to too many funerals, especially when I was a hospice chaplain. And I heard that more often than I can tell you. Okay? And that's not Christian. That's part of Joe. And when the resurrection happens, that part of Joe will come out of the grave gloriously transformed. How do you know? Because Jesus came forth from the grave. The same body that was slaughtered and massacred on the cross came forth from the grave, gloriously transformed. The same body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair. And so the escapism language is Gnostic or is a Gnostic trend. You want to make sure you don't, uh, you don't want to encourage that with folks when, you're, when they're talking. I understand if you're going through a lot of pain, it's, it's a chronic ailment, you want them to escape the pain, right? I mean, we all do, right? But you don't, you, what you don't want is you don't want them to escape the humanity. Yeah. Celebration of life. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's becoming more and more of a trend, especially in the funeral business, is to move away from any sense of grief. And, to, and they always call all of them celebration of life. Now, I'm okay with the celebration of life to a certain extent, as long as it's recognized within the context of the family is grieving. And they have a right to grieve, and I will fight tooth and nail to let them weep if they need and feel like they need to weep, right? And so... Um, and that just, sometimes some, some, not all of them, but some of the funeral folks kind of go, what? Because it's become folk religious, right? So good. So there's all kinds of different aspects of trends that you see. You were going to say something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yes, right. That sounds like the '60s when we would do, you know, you might do acid or something, you know. It's going to open your mind. Right. Who was the who was the guy that I think he worked for Reagan? It was one of the maybe his commerce secretary or whatever said that on public media. Said, "Well, it doesn't matter what we do with creation because it's all going to burn up anyways." And he got skewered, and then he just kind of evaporated. Does anybody remember that? That was the 1980s. I remember that because that struck me as odd. And even then, I agreed with him. But at the at the time, because that was where we lived in Christianity, and it struck me as odd because it was defeatist. Right? And it was escapist. I finally get, get to go be with one with God, which is what I am. I'm part of that. Yeah, it's me. 
It's me that's part that's divine. It's the divine side of me. Uh, that only comes in the 1800s. Remember, we don't want to be anything visible. In that sense, it actually goes really well. We talk about going back into the oneness. Yes. 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 Yeah. So we're almost done. Let me go down to these last couple of quotations. This is again is Alisher McGrath. If any ancient religious tradition can be said to resonate particularly well with contemporary social and religious fashions in North America, it is Gnosticism. What we know of Gnostic beliefs suggests that they chime in with contemporary ideals of self-discovery, self-awareness, self-actualization, and self-salvation, not to mention a dislike of any authority, especially ecclesiastical. I think his observation is, is very helpful because Alistair McGrath loves everybody. If you knew Alistair McGrath, if you read him, he's just a sweet guy, right? So he's not out to pick a fight. And I thought, beautiful, good job, okay? But I think that's exactly right. That's why it, it's just, it's just part of the drinking water around us, the different aspects of Gnosticism, I think, seems to me. And then, this famous scholar, whose name is Bill Price, who used to come to Heritage Presbyterian Church. Do you all remember Bill Price? He wrote this book, right? Far as the curse is found, it's actually his reflections on uh, Ecclesiastes. He asked me to review it some time back. But he said this in there, he said, the idea of progress, now he's looking at progress, the idea of progress requires not only an imagined golden future, but its counterpart, a dark and evil past from which the alienated pure soul struggles to escape. The idealized past was a time of poverty, sickness, racism, slavery, misogyny, sexism, inequality, all ills of an evil creation. The evil past in the golden future, dualism of progressivism is Gnostic. Absent, of course, are the gauzy deities of ancient Gnosticism. That old universe has been flattened and all its structures appear only on the human plane. This present world, tainted by the past, wears an evil stain. And those who are woke, strain... That's great, by the way. That, I don't mean... I don't, I don't know that he means everything that that word gets used for, but it's a great word for Gnosticism. And those who are woke strain to escape into the promised true and only heaven. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I thought it was a great analysis, okay? This, this having this wonderful golden future and the past is evil. Utopia awaits us and everything that happened before is, so it's what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Everything in the past, oh, we're better than that stuff in the past. They were evil, they were we're smarter, we're better. So, yeah, we're evolving, right. So I think that fits in well. So that's um, Bill Price. It's a great book. By the way, all the proceeds for this book actually goes to his wife's uh, ministry in Kenya for training Christian school teachers to teach in Kenya. So he doesn't get any of the money out of this book, by the way. So I would recommend the book for you. Yes? No. I said with great emphasis, no. Because it's all under the sun. 
So in a world that lives without any recognition of God and lives in the here and now and only thinks of materialist in materialistic, naturalistic ways, this is the vanity of all things. That's why he keeps coming back around to say, but God gives you these things to enjoy. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. He breaks that, that aspect. Uh, yes, he's answering those. Yes, all the way through. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right, so assuming that you will be listened to at all. Okay, we're not going to have time to do this. But assume that you'd be listened to at all. What would be your biblical responses to Gnosticism or the more common Gnostic trends? And you've actually already been answering some of those. We talked about really emphasizing the incarnation and going all the way back to Genesis with that, okay? Uh, I would recommend the book of Jude. Take the time to read Jude. It's only 25 verses. and Work your way through Jude. Go back on the sermon audio. I have preached on that here twice. In the 10 years I've been here uh, through Jude, it's in my book. Uh, Jude is a great little piece to use to, to help you with some of that, okay? That would be a good biblical uh, place to go. And there's lots of places you could go, but always come back to, like Romans 8, the end of Romans 8. When Paul starts talking about, or the middle of Romans 8, when Paul starts talking about all creation groans, longing for the day of our adoption as the sons of God when Jesus returns, Wham! You've moved into the remedy to their disgust, right? In the sense of body bad, spirit good, creation bad, and all that stuff. You've moved into the answer to that. So that part of Romans 8 is great. There's lots and lots you could do. So any questions at this point or anything last needs to be said? Ah, so who do, you, who do you say that I am? We already answered that. Either... Yeah, they would have say they would have said uh, either it depends on who you talk to. Either he is that an intermediate intermediate deity who has come to show you the true way to the true God who doesn't even know you exist and could care less, right? Or he's a human who uh, came who got gnosis and has become divine, and now he's now the prophet, right? One of many. Okay. In fact, if you read the gospel, don't do it. Please don't, 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 don't. But if you just happen to read the gospel of Judas, you will notice that Judas is actually the wiser of the two. He was helping Jesus to get free of his body. All right, more what can be said. Um, trust me, more that can be said. But we're not going to say any more right now. So we're going to move on. Next time we're going to end into Montanism. Okay, that'll be next time. And you can look that up, um, theopedia.com. It's got a little piece on Montanism, okay? All right. That was exciting. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you that you love creation. You love our bodies. You love us, body and soul. And you showed it. You signed and sealed that love to us in the coming of your Son, fully human while being fully divine. And He came and He died on our behalf for our trespasses and He was raised for our justification. We thank You for the fact that as King of kings and Lord of lords, He's coming back and He will raise us all from the dead and we long for that day. We thank You for all of this in a minute, much, much more, Lord. We pray that You'd be with us now as we enter to the assembly. We pray that You would fill us with Your Holy Spirit and You would lift our hearts that we would sing your praises with great joy and great relish. In Jesus' name.
Amen.